Welcome to the Canine Classroom, a podcast for dog owners, professionals, and sports enthusiasts where we discuss training, behavior issues, sports, and everything in between. We're three friends and colleagues who share a passion for dogs, and although we have many similarities, we also have many differences in our training styles and the methods we practice. We're here to have open conversations, ask questions, get answers, as well as hear from colleagues and experts in the industry. So take a seat and get your notepad out because class is in session. Welcome to the Canine Classroom. I'm your host, Anthony DeMarinis. I'm joined today by my co-hosts, Stephanie Rayner and Vinny Viola. Hey, everyone. How are you? Hey, what's going on? How are you? Not bad, boss. There you go, chief. (laughs) Already starting with me, huh? Yep. (laughs) Bunch of hooligans that I have to deal with How have you guys been? All right. Steph, you were teaching in Florida. Tell us about that. What were you doing? I was uh, invited to teach some seminars, some agility seminars. I taught uh, a day of puppy young dog handling and then two days of international style course work. It was it was a good time. It's always fun to travel somewhere new and work with new personalities and dogs and see some of their skills. And I don't know, it's always fun, you know, for for me to see people come out who like genuinely want to learn and improve on their skills. So it's really fun for me to to do that kind of a thing that's cool how's everyone else's weekend all right i got stung by a bee oh no and normally normally that was fine but apparently as you age you uh your body doesn't deal with venom as uh efficiently so ended up in the emergency room and uh had to take a bunch of benadryl so whoopsie but i'm good now yeah wait was this during your session your practice thing those bees will get you no, I was training a client and all of a sudden it felt like my arm was burning and she was like, oh my God, there's a bee on you. And I was like, oh no. And I actually wasn't concerned, but she was. And then her concern started making me nervous because <laughs> I was like, no, it's fine. And she's like, I'm not leaving until your next client gets here. And I'm like, oh no. And I was fine all day. And then as the day went on, my whole forearm blew up like Popeye and then my armpit was swollen. <laughs> and next thing you know, I'm in the emergency room. So yeah. And then today I found a tick on me, so I'm just like not doing well. I'm just gonna mm. live in a bubble are soon. They, are the ticks bad by you? Yeah, they yeah, they're brutal. They're brutal. Yeah, they're like over so. here. I got it off quickly though. I don't think it's been on for over a day, so I think I should be good. But I'll look out for the bullseye rash and go from there. So yeah. Right. How about you, Anthony? Wait, I was going to ask you. Wait, I was going to ask you about your uh, training weekend. I wanted to hear about that. Oh yeah, I took uh, took Zim to Connecticut. Did, uh, mostly watching people doing some French ring preparation. I think they have 
regionals going on, East Coast regionals going on next weekend. Mm -hmm. And Zim got to do a little bit of work with the decoy, which was cool to see. Um, his problem with leash pressure into the harness mostly went away. So last week when he would hit into the leash, he would turn around and check in with me because obviously that's great when I'm walking him down the street, but it's not good when I want him to pull towards a decoy. So oh, funny, I, I was asking you that a couple of days ago, actually. So yeah, I was intentionally not using the harness for that, yeah. but he's still, of mm, course, dogs yeah. are not the best at generalizing, but he picked that one up. <laughs> he yeah. was like, oh, pressure, I'm going to turn around and look, which not horrible. It was easy fix, you know? Yeah. Um, so worked on that and he did good. He only like checked in once with me. And then after that, he was, he was full steam ahead. Oh, cool. So, so exciting, All right. exciting stuff. So. So tonight, we're I talking we're about talking resource about. guarding Ooh, in, uh, I don't know exactly what, puppies maybe, puppy prevention. Yeah, I guess we could talk about like preventing it, maybe okay. early signs of it. And then as we go, we can go into like, if you already missed all that and I have an older dog that's doing it, what do you do? What do you don't do? Okay. Well, I guess we should explain first what resource guarding is. So, oh, here we go. Let's get the definition out. Why don't you explain it, Vinny? <laughs> Why don't you explain <laughs> it, boss? Good, boss. Tell no, us. No, no, no. What's resource I guarding? Wanna, I want to hear. I want to hear. I want to hear what you have to say. I mean, uh, really simply, it's it's a dog guarding something that they find valuable, right? So, yeah. it's not always. Well, I guess we'll get into that about whether it's always outwardly right dangerous are they showing teeth or growling right away yeah i mean There's... i kind of explain it as um it's protective or possessive behavior of something that a dog finds valuable at that particular moment in time because we mm -hmm. know that we know that items that dogs guard can can change or vary and it could be an item it could be a person it could be a space a location uh, and, and I, I think say, what you said there is important too, is the dog finds valuable. Yeah. yeah at at that, that moment in time, because that doesn't mean the mm -hmm. dog's going to guard like the couch all the time, right? It could be mm -hmm. in a specific situation, um, you know, like maybe the kids are approaching the dog when the dog's tired or, you know, and the dog has an item and is just more grouchy. It could be when the other dog in the home is approaching specifically so there's a lot of there could be a lot of factors as to when and why it may occur so i guess like my question since we're gonna let's start with puppies i guess because that's always an interesting one because that's probably one of the things that i find to be the most important for a pet home because i think sport homes professional homes don't do a lot of the things that maybe a pet home would do so i think like pet homes generally are a little more nervous about things like oh my god my dog picked up a leaf oh he picked up a twig whereas like i'm just like yeah it's cool and a lot of people a lot of pet owners tend to get really nervous about that and i noticed that creates issues so let's kind of start with that i think yeah, yeah i was so, just gonna say oh sorry no it's okay i was gonna say do you do you think that owners are maybe one of the number one reasons why it even starts in the first place. I would say a lot of times that's what I notice. I think that it, it, you know, there are dogs who come 
predisposed, like it's internally in them or instinctually in them. But, and that could be whether that's, that could be because of the specific breed of dog, or it could be that the mother or father just were resource guarders and they passed it on to their puppies. But um, I would say that I tend to notice a lot of people seem to create it when they're younger because they're reaching into the puppy's mouth. They're chasing them around the house. He's got little Timmy's toy. <laughs> they were chasing, they're chasing the little rascal around the table. You know, they go in, they snatch it away from the puppy. So I, I think that those things can create a lot of problems, especially early on because that puppy is so young and impressionable at that time that they're really picking up a lot of, a lot of things and and the owners are not intentionally trying to do that they're trying to either teach their puppy what not to do or they're trying to keep the puppy safe or maybe their expensive shoes safe depending on the situation <laughs> but but i think that it's something that i do notice owners tend to create a lot early on what about you Vinny? yeah i agree with that for the most part i think they help bring it out. I do see some puppies exhibiting signs of it way earlier or way more extremely than others. And let's face it, a lot of people, myself included in the past, we've all done the things that you're not supposed to do. And some dogs just, they just don't, they just don't guard, right? You know, yeah. like it's just, not that they would never be put in a situation where they would, but, um, you know, I've seen puppies at eight, nine, ten weeks where they're already getting something and just like walking away with it and hiding. Like, you know, the and we yeah. could talk about like some of the things that you might see in the beginning. And then I think that coupled with people, yeah, constantly going after the dog, constantly grabbing things from their mouth really creates a recipe for disaster. Well, depend like you were just saying, I, I think we like you're saying is like depends on the dog's frustration level, like how, uh -huh. how frustrated the dog gets. So how quickly, excuse me, the dog gets uh, frustrated because sure. like some dogs who don't get frustrated as easily may not display the behavior or like what you're saying, like they, it might just roll off their shoulders and they don't care. Whereas other dogs might get really frustrated very easily. And that might be the type of dog might actually display that guarding behavior for sure for sure i so think what are, oh go ahead sorry for, what are some of the first things then that you do to prevent to prevent it mm -hmm. i think we should start with that right like preventing it early yeah. on before you have it and then maybe we can get into like some signs that it's something that you have to keep an eye on yeah so i generally first kind of talk about like what really is kind of dangerous and what really isn't that dangerous so and i also talk about what's valuable to you so if if your shoes are valuable to you just put them away close the door or put a baby gate up somewhere just so that way you're not creating problems from happening because like the more opportunity that puppy is going to have to grab your shoes over time, the more enjoyable and fun that's going to potentially be. And depending on if you're going to be chasing that puppy a lot, that could also increase the likelihood 
of the guarding behavior to start appearing. So one of the first things I do aside from just kind of going over like, okay, what do you find valuable? So we could puppy proof the home. Uh, I kind of like to start explaining like what's safe, what isn't safe. So like leaves, twigs, as long as the dog's not like really ingesting that stuff. Like most puppies just want to shred it. They just want to rip it. They want to chomp on it. And that's really it. Mm-hmm. They they are generally not ingesting those things. So certain things I'll, I'll kind of leave alone. Like even when I got Quest, uh, people were still wearing masks a lot. So you'd see them all over the street. So she would just pick them up and play with them like they were toys. And I would allow it because she was just playing it, like just tossing it around, goofing off, having a fun time. So I, I wasn't like caring or making a big deal of the fact that she had this thing. If I needed to like have her drop something, I would just trade it out with some food. She didn't, she was a baby, so she didn't know drop it at that time. But I didn't make a big deal about it because I think a lot of people make a big deal about things that a puppy has in their possession. And then I think in some ways people can create a puppy who learns when they have something in their possession that this is either like important or this is a big deal for some reason. And they either need to have possession of it, maybe because they think it's part of a game or maybe it could be an attention seeking behavior that they learned or they do it because they can start learning, wow, this is valuable. So maybe I need to have possession of this thing, even if they're not displaying aggressive behavior. So I think, I think like trading out is super important, knowing what you shouldn't be taking, like what you could just leave alone. Like I was saying, my puppy would just pick up masks on the street. I'd leave it alone. We'd walk for a couple minutes. She'd spit it out and forget about it. And she was on to the next thing she wanted to go sniff. So it wasn't a problem. And over time, she just lost interest in those things. And then the other thing is I always go over how we need to respect the puppy's space. So a lot of people tend to stick their hands in the bowl and pet the puppy while they're eating. And I always give the example, like, I know I don't want to be touched while I'm eating. (laughs) So (laughs) Vinny knows. (laughs) I'm not even going to start. I'm not going to start. I don't, I I just, you know, so I I always use that example though, because like, I don't want someone bugging me when, when I eat. So I like, like, and I just get grossed out by like when, like if someone tries to take a drink from my cup, like I just find it disgusting. Like, so I know like that would piss me off, right? So it's the same thing with our puppies. So some dogs aren't gonna like that. It's a little intrusive and and it's weird because it's like, it's not even a dog going over there. Like the puppy's just learning about who you are. And now all of a sudden you're just sticking your hand <laughs> right in the bowl or, or on the puppy or whatever. So. Or, or even, and, and like, you know, depending on how negative those things are, that could be a problem because like, we're going to be snatching things out of the puppy's mouth now and it picks things up. Like now all of a sudden hands are going to be this bad thing that the puppy starts to learn to associate as something maybe negative or questionable. So, um, I like to teach like certain things, like maybe I'll walk over to the bowl and drop some food in the bowl or a couple treats in the bowl. Um, rather than sticking my whole hand in there. So I like to do like little exercises like that. And I do a couple other things, but 
that's kind of some of the stuff trading and doing things like that. What about you? Yeah, um, managing the environment's huge. My house is never cleaner than when I have a puppy there. I just want to prevent <laughs> prevent it if I can, right? Um, I like to work on um, so either like a little interrupter noise. It just means I have treats. So like I make like the classic little kissy noise with puppies because like you said, they don't know drop it. They don't they don't know leave it. Um, I want to work on that separately. I don't want to mess that cue up or work on that too soon. So just make a little kissy noise and follow up with food and then um, work on that before they have something, right? So that I'm not only working on like a drop it when the dog actually has right. something. Um, yeah. Then when I do um, start with like a word like drop it, I'll, I'll say that word and and scatter food on the floor, right? So like I like I like to do that as long as the situation allows it. And then similar to you, I pick my battles. I don't go after every little thing that the dog picks up. My my dogs do the same things. They like to shred, so I won't go after every single thing. Because even, you know, we could talk about it briefly, but some dogs that don't resource guard, what they wind up doing is they'll do stuff like this just for attention seeking. So, yes. you know, which is a great problem to have. It's better than a dog that's resource guarding, but some dogs will similarly get bored, see that you don't pay attention to them and then pick up your pair of shoes because they know when you do that, the whole family is playing, you know, football in the kitchen, trying to catch them and they love it. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how I feel. What about you, Steph? Well, this is definitely not my area of expertise, so I'm enjoying hearing what you guys have to say. But I would say in my limited experience, um, it's mainly been in my own household, uh, amongst my own dogs. Uh, when it comes to mealtime, um, I would guess, my, you know, my um, solution is maybe not the correct solution. Uh, <laughs> and we won't get into using terms like positive or balanced or whatever like that but my my reaction is usually uh some kind of a disruptor a hey no don't do that knock it off and just to clarify uh, you're talking about the dogs going at each other over their own food yeah mainly like uh so for instance my uh puppy imagine eats her food in her crate mm -hmm. and my other board call i believe eats out of a crate they eat out of slow feeders because they will inhale the food but believe mm -hmm. is the world's fastest eater so when she's done she likes to walk around imagine's crate just to see if she accidentally <laughs> dropped anything and sometimes imagine will be like don't come near my food and i just say you know don't do that or in term uh, maybe like um you know over like a bone or something and then i simply just take it away i just say nope that'll do and the thing just goes away so that it's just not an option Mm -hmm. um, but maybe we could talk about uh, a student of mine, because I would love your opinions. Um, I have a student with a new puppy, 11-month-old uh, Cavalier, who has been in the home for maybe four days um, and is already showing signs of uh, guarding things like toys uh, around the other dogs and just kind of showing already like a more dominant personality. Um, so I'd be curious to know what you guys would do, uh, if that was, did this dog live with other in. dogs before? Yeah. So it comes from a breeder situation where there were like, I would say like 20 other dogs or so. They and weren't living was, in the house together. I don't, I cannot, I can't say for sure. Um, 
but we kind of suspect that it was more of like a fend for yourself kind of a situation. And so I think that's probably for sure where the puppy kind of learned these behaviors. So what would you do if this and, was your And what is the, wait, I'm, and I, I'm sorry, yeah. I forget. What is the problem uh, exactly? Kind of like resource guarding toys around her other dogs. She has two other dogs. She has two other dogs. Mm-hmm. They're old. How old are they? One is older, and um, the the puppy luckily seems to respect the the older dog, which is great. Um, the other one is um, older, obviously, than the puppy. Um, kind of a more aloof personality, kind of the pushover type. Um, so he's, you know not going to fight back or anything like that. He's just like, oh, okay. You wanted that thing? Okay. You can have it. That's fine. I mean, the dog's there so short. It's only there for four days. So I would, honestly, I would, I think if it was me, I would probably want the dog to get a little more comfortable first, as opposed to the first few days being already having that opportunity. I mean, it's going to maybe happen anyway, Mm -hmm. potentially, you know, the dogs are so short, like I wouldn't want that popping up right away, you know, like I just wouldn't allow it, I guess, to happen as as frequent. And is this dog going in charging? I'm just curious, like if the other dogs have toys, just to clarify, is this mm-hmm. dog running in, going to snatch it from them? Or is it only when the dog has the item in its possession and the other dogs walk into the room or approach the puppy specifically? Like how, like how is it actually occurring? I see what you're saying. Uh, I believe it is the second. But uh, she did mention that on one occasion, the puppy went over, took something from the other dog. Oh, and the dog okay. Just so that, I have it. that, yeah, that I wouldn't allow for sure. Like that, I would remove the dog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would maybe have like, <clears throat> I'd maybe have a word that just means you made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Or, um, I mean, you could have a timeout word. I mean, the thing is, is that the thing is, is that you're, if that, if the puppy would potentially guard towards the person then that's where that could get a little bit tricky because over time the puppy might learn, uh Oh, the person's approaching me, (laughs) you know, but I would, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't allow the puppy, like for me with a puppy, like I don't allow the puppy to boss the other dogs around. Right. Especially if the other dogs are a little soft, I wouldn't allow that because the puppy's going to learn to walk all over them over time. And the puppy has to learn basically like, well, I mean, not the puppy's going to learn, but I always look at it and for me, I always look at it as, hey, these guys were here first mm-hmm. and I'm going to treat it that way. Um, I don't want the puppy coming and disrupting everything and then causing bigger problems for the other two. As far as the, Vinny, you can interrupt me if you want, by the way. I'll wait for you to finish. Unless you want me to interrupt you. But, so but. polite. <laughs> what? But. This is not this is unusual, guys. What's no, so I here? guess I guess what we should do, I mean, we're doing a podcast. So first we have to do the disclaimer of like if your dogs are fighting with each other in your house, seek professional help and don't try to fix everything based on what you're listening to here. So I'll try to like think of just some scenarios that I could think of. Um, what Anthony is saying is exactly what I would do. Um, but then I'd try to like move forward into like, so like, let's say we like move ahead five, six months or whatever. Like, obviously I would probably want to be playing with the puppy alone, separating that, like doing all that stuff. So like everything Anthony was saying, like, say you do all that, then like, how do you get to the point 
eventually if you wanted to and this is where you have to decide like some people are fine with just the management and then they just like end there right like oh i'm just gonna play with my dog separately and i'm gonna put up x pens in my house or put a gate whatever it might be and then end there um can we move on i think that's gonna depend on you know the severity of, of like are the dogs mauling each other or are they just kind of like having little scuffles again get a professional to to help you with that um i could i could say in my own case i have a, i have a dog that's very um he's like a bully like there could be a hundred balls in a yard and like if my dog picks up one of them then my other dog is like that's the one i want now right like he just wants to get and he'll like he sounds grumbly and gargly and he seems like he'll like fight over it um maybe he would my my labrador is very like submissive he'll just like let go of anything like okay you win like he won't put up a fight so what i what i find helpful is um working on um if it's toys working on play where you're sending the dog to an object um away from an object so um like a remote reward like having a tennis ball out in the yard asking you know having the dog on leash getting your dog to come to you maybe you could even work some leash pressure into that work that away from that and then send them to go get that thing and then can you have multiple toys and then start teaching the dog like nope that's not the right toy i want you to do that toy instead um, I want you to focus on the toy that you have. So with, with Spencer's case, because I did it with Spencer and Baloo, I started um, playing tug with Spencer. And then I played fetch in the yard with an imaginary dog. Like I would throw a, I would throw a tennis ball. But then as soon as I threw the tennis ball, I'd have Spencer on a leash. You know, Spencer would go to the end of the leash. He wouldn't be able to get the tennis ball. It's like, nope. And then as soon as the leash pressure would pop him back towards me, and I use that word pop very lightly, don't misinterpret that. I then start playing tug with him, right? Then Anthony's laughing over there with that one. <laughs> then what I started doing now again, like having having a dog, like training, like don't underestimate training the older dogs. And then we could even talk talk about like stationing. So I find stationing very helpful for multiple dog stuff, which is like sending dogs to specific places. So then what I was doing is I would have Baloo place on a platform in my yard. I would throw a tennis ball. But now the tricky thing is the tennis ball moving and Baloo chasing the tennis ball at the same time was like super exciting to Spencer. So like I would tell Baloo to wait while I threw that tennis ball. So now the tennis ball is out in the yard and Baloo's waiting on a place for that tennis ball. And Spencer is on a leash, excited about the ball being thrown. And then I let him start playing with me in the tug. And then I send, you know, Baloo to go get it. And then I started making it more tricky where now I'm like having Baloo run after the tennis ball at the same time that I'm playing with Spencer. Like I kind of just based it on the moment and I was like kind of feeling it through of like when I would send Spencer to um, play tug with me, how much of the game that Baloo is playing, how much of that do I want Spencer to see? before I start playing with Spencer, because if I could just get Spencer jacked up on a toy, he won't even like the whole world goes blank, you know, like all he's focusing on the tug. So I did eventually want him to see more and more of that picture of like Baloo enjoying a toy, but like you're not able to be a part of that. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know if this is really answering your question, but like I think stationing, teaching even the older dogs to be able to to drop something, leave something, you know, that's a big thing too, is like, if I saw Baloo running after something and I saw the other dog, whatever dog it might be also going after that thing, it is super helpful, even though it's not everyone has it to be able to tell that older dog, Hey, leave it, come back to me. 
You know what I mean? And then you're avoid you're you're avoiding a fight from happening, even though a fight would have happened. Um, so like teaching those older dogs a good recall away from toys, away from objects, is also a really easy way to kind of avoid a fight happening with the younger puppy that doesn't know anything yet. And I was going to just add to that with the puppy. One thing that I like to also do is I like to have the puppy learn to go to a place right away. I don't need to teach them the word or anything, but what ends up happening, like one thing I do with puppies a lot is here's an amazing bone, just as an example, here's a bone. And I just show the puppy the bone and I kind of lure them over to the dog bed. I call it like the lazy approach to teaching a bed because I just want the puppy learning every time I give you something to chew on, whether it's a bone, a Kong, whatever it is, every, like every time you get it, it's happening in the, uh, on the dog bed or in the playpen or in your crate, because then what's going to happen over the course of a week, maybe two weeks for some puppies is they're going to see you grab that bone or grab an item and they're going to shoot over to the bed. Like both of my dogs, that's I, that's what I did as just a little foundation skill. It's not like, you know, you can, you can get fancy with teaching a dog bed. Like, I mean, I've done that too with my dogs, but just as like an easy approach with a puppy where we're not being pushy or demanding of anything, just to show them, hey, look, here's your bone. Let's bring you over to the bed. They don't even need to stay there. I don't care if they don't stay there in the beginning, but I just want the puppy learning. Every time you get something, you're on this thing. And over time, most puppies will learn to stay there on their own because they know that they get something there. The uh, other reason I bring it up is because it can be a safe place or a good place for that puppy to receive something rather than maybe being conflicted and needing to wander around the room or the other dogs approaching the space where the puppy might be in. So teaching like a specific location is important in my opinion for uh, something like this. And, and it could be an area that you put the puppy on the bed and then you end up closing the area off if you need to, if you need extra layers like a, a gate or a playpen or a, a crate. So you could do all those, or even a tether for some dogs. I mean, the, the one problem I will just say with mo with all of these things is that depending on the severity level of the guarding behavior, any of these, these strategies could cause the behavior to get worse as well. So for example, if you're teaching your puppy to go to the bed all the time, that bed can now be part of that valued item, oh, which yeah, will now bed, be yeah. an extension, right, of that valued item. And so that bed can now be something the dog starts to resource guard. So you have to be very careful with that when it comes to guarding. And the reality is you're not, you know, like people might be hearing this and saying, well, why would you do that then? Or how would you know? You may not know. Some dogs who are really pushy, okay, you're going to know. Like, like there are dogs that I'll meet and I'm like, no, we're not going to be doing those things. We're going, because I know right away that that's going to cause a problem, at least at this stage. Maybe we can move to that at some point. So I think that's just really an important little piece is that you have to remember that any of these things could always cause a problem to occur because it can be an extension of whatever the dog's guarding. Yeah. So maybe before we go on, just to kind of sum up what we just talked about uh, in terms of like uh, resource guarding and puppies, I guess it's um, 
like preventing so like not even having something for the puppy to guard or just keeping dogs like or like puppies separate from the older dogs in the first place um you know creating a really safe space for the dog to go to like a bed or a crate or something like that and then the next kind of layer is ultimately teaching maybe stationing or or something like that is that and then also, yeah, but like, also because preventing, like, I, like, look, I, I prevent as much as I can, but like, the thing that I don't like about preventing here is like, I don't know. I've had a lot of puppies in my house. I've had a lot of puppies myself. I've prevented. It's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. So if you just prevent, 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 and you just like, you're never ready for it, like, you do have to be proactive. Like, instead of preventing, almost think of it more as like, what am I going to do when the dog gets something I didn't want it to get? Like, it's gonna, it's going to. Mm -hmm. it's going i don't care if you put all your shoes away i don't care if you cleaned your house like it's going to be something right like whether it's a piece of tape or it's something that you didn't even know existed like i was joking before my house has been so clean when i have puppies boarding with me because it's like i'm like where did you get that like what what even is that you know what i mean like you find things that you haven't seen and you know the dog is finding everything because it's all they have to do so it's more of like like okay i'm gonna have this food on me i'm gonna have jars in each room whatever it might be and when the puppy gets something i'm not gonna freak out i'm not gonna go oh my god let me see what you have right because another thing we didn't even bring up that's super dangerous you know, you have dogs that run away and they think it's a game and they're playing. You have dogs that might gra- guard and growl and bite. But then you have the dogs that just know you're coming. They just swallow it. Mm, they're yeah, like, oh, yeah, you're taking it. Guess what? I'm going to just swallow this. And like you might not be getting sent to the, the hospital with a bite, but you're going to be going to the vet and paying a shitload of money because mm-hmm. your dog just swallowed a sock, like and inhaling it. And in my experience, the more it happens, then it's like you could like I had a client once that if she looked at her dog from like across her house, the dog was like, oh. I'm going to swallow it because the dog, the dog literally got so proactive that it was like, okay, if I have something I'm not supposed to have in my mouth and I, someone looks at me, I just need to swallow it because I'm going to lose it. But I want to, I want to just clarify something that was because the owners in that situation were chasing the dog down, cornering it, grabbing it and ripping it out. Yeah. That's exactly why, like, even though, even though prevention may not always work to your point, Mm -hmm. That's why it's also very important to have a game plan ahead of time, yeah. right? And also to know how to address it. So I think you might have mentioned it before. I may have said it before as well, but I remember you saying it specifically, mm-hmm. Vinny, that, you know, I'll like when we're talking about trading, like how to do it. So like for mm-hmm. me, what I always do is I'll toss some treats right there in front of the puppy. Like I always tell owners, let the treats hit the dog in the face. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Let it just scatter. Let it, you know, it's going to bounce. It's going to hit them. Who cares? Just throw the treats right there. Let it, let it fall right in the floor. The puppy most of the time might be like, whoa, shiny penny. And they go after whatever it is that just fell. And now all of a sudden from there, I always tell my clients, scatter now a few past them because now yeah, they're going to go yeah. chase. I think that's a good thing to bring up because, because so some of the things, because we should also clarify some of the things that go wrong with this is sometimes people do everything they're supposed to do. They, they have their jars of treats. They're ready for the trade out. But what do you, what do you see all the time? Dog has something that it wants in its mouth. Owner comes over, says, drop it, throws one treat on the floor. Mm-hmm. Dog inhales it because yep. it's a dog. And, it immediately and then the owner thing. is going back to get the thing. And the dog is like, no, I want that thing again. And now yep. they're fighting over it again or even getting yep. bitten over it. So like sometimes if it's something, and again, be smart about this, consult with someone that's a professional. If it's something that's arbitrary, like not going to kill my dog, right? It's a tissue. 
I will leave that tissue on the floor and then keep doing these scatters or, or, or noises to get them to redirect to me and play with them to the point that like that tissue is on the floor and the dog no longer even cares about it. Because they learn really quickly. Like I've seen dogs that like if they have something they're not supposed to have and they see you coming over with food, right? And what's the thing people do too? Like they start reaching in with their hand Sometimes these dogs don't know that you're holding food and they Correct. see that hand reaching in and they're like, I didn't know you were holding a piece of chicken. I see you reaching at me. Yep. So it's, it's like really, that's why I like to have an audible thing. Something that I do even still now, because I have a six month old Malinois in my house that keeps just grabbing my toilet paper. It's like, <laughs> I go over to- close the door, Vinny. Come on. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I, and I have to have that bathroom door open, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll just go like if I don't have anything on me and I'm like, oh, shoot, he has like this thing. I just calmly go over to his cabinet that has his food. I open up that cabinet and I start crinkling that food bag. And like he's already he's running in. He's right next to me. And the toilet paper is like in the hallway. You know what I mean? Like just do whatever you can and like make sure that you are getting your dog to no longer be interested in that in that thing that it's interested in. Yeah, and, and so what I was saying actually before, and you, that was a good point, when I throw the food like at the puppy, I usually tell owners, you gotta throw like whatever, three to five, six pieces of treats, you know, little bits, let it scatter, and then scatter another whatever, three to five treats past them where they hear it, they see it sliding past them and they run over. Cause that's then if I actually need to get the item, then I could take the item while the puppy's occupied. But they're not even seeing it. That's the ideal Without thing. I don't even, even want the puppy to know that I stole it. Right. I don't even want them to know I did it. I want them to just look at me and go, oh, that thing's gone. And puppies have like very short attention spans. They're, they're, they're over it. They're not like, oh, you I mean, there are puppies definitely that there are, are that are like, where is it? But if you yeah. just snatch it away and then hide it and throw it somewhere without them seeing you, yeah, they'll, they'll be over it. And and I wanted to bring up another point that you brought up. You were talking about redirecting. And I wanted to say that I think sometimes, and this is something, I don't know about you guys, but this is something that is definitely online in many places because I have clients who constantly say that they have read this online. So mm -hmm. a lot of people talk about redirecting, oh, trading out with another toy or uh, redirecting the puppy onto something else. And I think that it can be, it could work, but it can also cause more problems because say again, in what way? Well, like if people only rely, cause that's what happens. A lot of people rely on just one or just one thing or two things. They only rely on redirecting. I think over time it can actually create a behavior chain or the dog learning, oh, if I grab this, I mm -hmm, can get mm -hmm. that thing, right? So mm -hmm. it's going to create something that maybe is not necessary. So here's why I don't worry about that with young puppies. And, and I always explain this caveat to people that like, and we're relating this to puppies or dogs that have like real like resource guarding is like, you know, puppy training is puppy training. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this with my four year old dog that doesn't have resource guarding. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, to me, a dog that is taking something and resource guarding it, right, and then I'm, I'm redirecting it to some other type of thing is different than the dog that's like picking up an object because it knows I'm going to redirect them for a reward. Do you know what I mean? 
but I'm not like, even and talking then I about can get rid of that. Like then I could be like, oh, you're just you're just messing with me, and, and but I'm I'll not, deal with that. I'm not even just saying that it's a puppy who's guarding. I'm saying like just as prevention because we know that owners mm -hmm. are gonna do that. Oh, so you're like as prevention, so the dog yeah. doesn't even. Research I'm talking about like yet. just yeah, as yeah, prevention, yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah. Uh, like pu like the puppy prevention mm -hmm. piece of this is you know like I think sometimes we we rely mm -hmm. on redirecting mm -hmm. too much because the agree. reality is. The reality yes. is that if it's a dog who really is resource guarding, most likely you're not going to be able to redirect them depending on how severe the problem is. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I'm talking more like just in the prevention, you know, that puppy prevention stage of like, what could we do? I don't like to over rely on just redirecting all the time like and to clarify too because redirection is is sometimes you know because we're, we're talking to some people might not even know what that is so so give me an example dog has something in i was going to give well i was just going to even give the usual one of like if a puppy's mouthing and they grab onto your sleeve and mm -hmm. they start hanging from your sleeve and then they grab mm -hmm, the toy mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. they start squeaking it and smack you on the floor to get the puppy yes, to yes, 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 move yes. over to get the toy. Mm -hmm. um, or the puppy's got my shoes and I know, oh, if I go over there, the puppy's going to run away. So instead, I'm going to go grab one mm -hmm. of the toys and start like squeaking it and throwing it across the house mm -hmm. to get the puppy to move on to that other toy instead and let go of my shoe. So those are just like a couple little... So what do you think it would be fair that before, and this kind of ties into what we were talking about a few weeks ago with like relationship is like, like when I got my own personal puppy recently, I was redirecting early on because I didn't know, I didn't know much about this dog yet. I'm talking about like days one, two, three, four, like first week in the house. So I'm like, I'm just going to redirect this from now until I know a little bit more about you. And then now, yeah, he's at the age where he grabs, you know, the toilet paper roll and I just go over and I'm like, no, dude, we're, you're, you're good. I need that. <laughs> yeah. I think that, yeah, for young pup, I think it's fine. I'm, I'm just saying, like, I think that, you know, as the puppy's aging, you know, we're in, you know, whatever, the third month, the fifth month, whatever. Mm -hmm. I think it's sometimes something that we just, people tend to rely on a little too much. And I think it's a good, like, everything. It's a, I think it's something that you should have in your toolbox for sure. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's the only thing that we should be relying on because over time, like like puppy, like mouthing, biting, like on the pants or on, on someone's sleeves, for example, I see it all the time where we're redirecting that. And it's like, well, now is the puppy learning that that could be a game? So the first yeah, few days, first, especially with first the puppy week, biting. yeah, like first yeah. week, whatever, like I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I just mm -hmm. don't want it to become this game over time where this thing mm -hmm. that causes Completely a bigger agree. problem or creates something more later. Completely agree with that. Love it. It's a lot of good, a lot of good tips for uh, puppy resource guarding. So, so now my experts, what do you guys do when you uh, take on a serious case of, of resource guarding in an older dog? Oh, so, Okay, so first of all, I'm just going to clarify and say that this is a very broad question because, <laughs> because like guarding can happen in many ways. It can happen like, you know, just very like kind of subtle and maybe the dog's just kind of 
like guarding, but like, or wedging themselves in between maybe someone or something, but they're not like showing teeth or causing harm. And then it can be something that can cause some serious harm. And I think also sometimes I'll see it where it's even very compulsive, where, where it's just over the top. So to say like, what do you do is very hard just because like it really depends on what it is. But just as an example, if a dog is guarding a bone, like I'm actually working with um, a cane corso puppy right now who's guarding his bones. And so initially the owners were chasing the puppy around the house. Uh, when he had items in his possession, they would, when he was eating, they would reach into the food bowl while he was eating his meals. When they were able to corner him, they would go in, scream no in his face and rip the thing out of the dog's mouth. Um, and I'm trying to think if there was anything. Oh, and then if he was just chewing a bone, they would walk over and pet him and sometimes take the item away. And over a couple weeks of having him, he started learning really fast that I don't feel safe in these situations. And it started causing him to start to be a lot more vocal and be much more possessive of these items. So one of the things we started doing was when he had an item in his possession, we were setting it up. So we're actually setting it up just like what Vinny was saying before with like tissues, for example, you use that as a good opportunity to train for five minutes. So we'd give the puppy a bone that he really liked. We'd let him chew on it for a couple minutes. And then we would approach the puppy and we would stop at about five feet away. And we would just throw some high value food at the puppy um, just to teach the puppy that my appearance means something good is gonna happen. So my appearance means chicken is falling from the sky. So that was one of the first things we did. And part of that was because I really wanted the owners to learn to understand and read what the puppy was actually saying and when the puppy wasn't feeling comfortable. And the other problem was, is that there was clearly a little bit of an issue with, or like conflict where the puppy was feeling uncomfortable with the owner's presence when he had something. So I wanna just make that a positive little experience. And then we started teaching the puppy that while he had something in his mouth, like if we walked over, he would maybe let go of it and look at us. And so we could, like if he was standing, we could ask him to sit, we would reinforce that. Um, then we would maybe reach towards the bone and drop some treats instead. So we weren't actually taking anything and he wasn't, he wasn't in a state where he was like very like feeling possessive. So we we're just trying to teach him like we're not doing anything that's going to make you uncomfortable, stressed, or have the need to do any of the following things. And then we also started teaching the puppy to move away from an item. So if we called the puppy over, the puppy learned to leave the item. And so we would reinforce that. What ended up also happening on its own through just the owners approaching after a week, the puppy started coming over to the owners without anything. So I was having the owners reinforcing that as well. So I wanted them to reinforce the fact that the puppy disengaged and left rather than needing to stay there and feel I must be with this thing right now. 
And uh, then we also were teaching the lazy approach to the dog bed that I was saying before, where when I give you this, I'm giving it to you in your safe place. Because that's something that's really important for, for this particular dog. And they've had, I've been working with them now for, I don't know, three weeks, four weeks now. And they've really come a long way, um, which I was a little surprised at how much progress they made. But they were doing the, you know, little exercises a couple times a day for like five minutes, 10 minutes, maybe twice a day. They were just doing their little strategies that I gave them to start helping this puppy feel more comfortable. What would you do in a situation um, if that, if that, say that dog were to get something that was extremely dangerous? One of the things that I say to a lot of clients is part of why I would prefer preventing things from happening is that in the event something happens, if I really need to go take something out of the dog's mouth, now I have that, I potentially have that leeway because the dog doesn't have something negative, some negative experience with me or my hands in a situation like that. For puppy owners, I generally, like what you were saying before, have them have jars of treats scattered around the house, have treats in your pockets. So if the dog has something dangerous, can, depending on what it is, can we scatter food or is it something that we need to try and swab your mouth? You know, I guess it just kind of depends on the dog or what it is. I mean, if you're talking about this cane corso who's <laughs> full grown, I was throwing a curveball. Then you have a problem, right? Like, like <laughs> yeah. no, because like I, this is actually a good question because my client was at a puppy class with this dog, and he, the dog had. Um, I think uh, he was getting too rough and an adult, one of the other puppies in the class went at him to just kind of set a boundary and say, stop bothering me. And this puppy, my client's uh, puppy went back at the other puppy, right? So the trainer went over and decided to take um, bitter apple spray or, or I forget like what it was, maybe citronella, the citronella spray actually and decided to open the dog's mouth and sprayed that dog in the mouth with that, which Ooh. is, I mean, that, that is a big no, no. Cause that can cause a lot of, not only a lot of behavior issues down the road, but it can also cause other issues because that's not exactly something that's supposed to be ingested. Mm. Um, and so I, I said to the owner, I said, okay. And so he said to me, yeah, I mean, it, it worked. Right. So I said, okay, so now tell me this. When this dog's 150 pounds, are you going to be doing that? Because that's, that's going to be a big, that's going to be a big problem. And mm -hmm. that's going to get dangerous really quick. So, I mean, you know, if you're talking about, if you're talking about, is it an adult dog that is full grown like that dog and he has something dangerous, I guess it's going to depend on, well, how dangerous is that dog going to be to you? And also to be really fair, just like our dogs have knee jerk responses. So do we, right. <laughs> and vice versa. So like, I am sure that all of us have done something without even thinking of it, where we go in and grab something or do something because it's our knee jerk response to something that scares us. I I'm sure that like there are people that are going to be listening that, Oh yeah, I wouldn't just let my dog swallow whatever. 
blah, 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 <laughs> you know, fill in the blank, you know, uh, I would go in and, and take that item to protect my dog or save my dog. But at the same time, if that dog has an extensive bite history and has bitten you really badly or caused serious harm to you, maybe even sent you to the ER a few times, I don't know that you're going to go in and snatch that item out of the dog's mouth at that point. And you could try trading, you could try all your your skills that maybe your dog knows, right? Like your dog might be like amazing at drop it. But in that situation, when the dog is stressed out and is ingesting something or has something that it's starting to guard or, or protect, it's a possibility that that dog's not going to drop it in that particular moment. And then that just goes on to a whole nother thing, because then if we're talking about how severe is that problem, then then that goes into a whole, you know, another rabbit hole of like, well, what's the behavior modification plan going to look like moving forward? What other type of preventions do we need to implement? Is it a really severe or compulsive problem that potentially needs behavior medicine to help the dog get into more of a thinking state of mind rather than this overreactive state. So I think that there's a lot of the, and that's why I was saying Steph before, like the question's really hard to answer because it really depends on the severity level and what the dog might be guarding, who it's guarding against, you know, like a dog, a dog might like, just as an example, you know, some dogs might not guard items towards the adults in the home, but they guard towards the children in the home or towards the other dogs in the home. Like, like um, imagine might not guard her bones if you go towards her, but she will guard it from believe. So, you know, there's a lot of factors involved with resource guarding, which makes it, makes it tricky. Yeah, and I think you brought up something, not to go back to puppies, but with the, 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 uh, the dog you're talking about um, and why sometimes people do things the way they do when the dog is younger because you do get away with stuff yeah like you could like it's That's so easy point. like you can go into any eight-week-old puppy's mouth and just take anything out of it and i always try to explain that to clients like when they see that i trade it out they're like almost like why why don't you just grab it out and i'm like because i'm treating your dog as if it's going to be the 100 pound dog that it's going to be or it's like the 80 pound dog that it's going to be that's very strong so like don't take for granted the fact that like or like so, you know, if I do have to go into a puppy's mouth to get something that's legitimately going to harm them or kill them, I'll make a huge excited, like, yay, after, and then, like, give them food after. Like, I'll follow it up with a reward so they don't think, like, oh, you just come in, you grab the stuff that I have, and then, like, you give me nothing for it. So, like, I don't take it for granted when yeah, I do go in there and, and take something out. Um, because I know that the dog is, think it's, you know, not that they're, like, tallying it up in their head, but... If, if they know that when they have something good and then I'm coming over and I just make them a loser all the time, yeah, that's, they're going to, they're going to remember that. And then that's going to be kind of become part of like the rapport that you're building with your dog. So like, and that's also to your point is if you do set the stuff up early and you do do a ton of this stuff, then if you, you know, you're in that situation, you kind of do have that rapport and you might be able to do certain things. Um, but back to back to older dogs. So something that I'll throw this at Anthony because I talked to Anthony about this, um, and it's something I've been actually getting quite a few clients that happen lately. So 
when the resource guarding seems to be and i say seems to be because i'll see what you how you interpret it um over people or like when people start to hug or people are touching or they say like my my husband can't kiss me um no one can shake my hand something like that um what do you what do you see that as is it resource guarding is it something else um and then what what do you do what are some of the first steps that you might be doing when you see that so first on what do i see it as i think that there's a few things i think sometimes it's guarding i think sometimes it's almost like a conflict related response of some kind where the dog maybe is interpreting something or, or not sure how to interpret something. And I think sometimes for some dogs who have more like impulse control issues, like Dr. Karen overall labels it like impulse control, like related aggression is I think her term in her textbook. And I sometimes like my like thing that I kind of took from that is like changes in the environment almost cause a dog to respond. So certain changes might cause a dog to react and it doesn't need to necessarily be resource guarding. It could be that that dog maybe is conflicted or like impulse control, like, you know, where the dog just can't maybe necessarily, maybe there's something going on. The dog can't necessarily control itself in that state or in that situation as they maybe get more aroused or or stressed or concerned. Um, so I, I think that there's a couple of things. Could it be a fear or anxiety related response? Sure. I mean, it's possible. Um, in terms of your other question, I think your second part to the question was, what do you generally do? Is that what you were asking? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something, not to cut you off and kind of yeah. switch, but you mentioned something before very briefly, and I'm not sure if it's even what you meant. Um, you said um, type of resource guarding that might not even be serious, but maybe the dog is like scooching close to you on oh, a yes. bed or a couch, because this is something that, and like full disclosure, my dogs are like allowed on my couch. I, my dog is sometimes allowed that in my so bed horrible. when I say it. So I cannot I don't believe wanna, you I'm allow your dog forward with couch. that. Like there are now, now I have to say though, I do implement certain <laughs> rules because, you know, I won't name names because I don't want to, you know, get, you know, start picking favorites with the dogs, but there, there is a dog in my household, right? Spencer, <laughs> um, where like, you know, he comes up on the couch, but then he like needs to be like right next to you. And then he needs to lean on you. And then he needs to like stand on you. And then he needs to be like basically humping your face. And it's like, whoa, dude, it's kind of like, and I was explaining this to a client the other day because she was like, well, I want my dogs a lot on my couch, but like, I don't want my dogs to like, you know, jump all over me or jump over my guests. And it, you know, to me, I almost see it as like, if I came up to someone and shook their hand in the street and then all of a sudden I hug them and next thing you know, I'm like kissing their neck. They're like, dude, I like, was saying hi and shaking your hand and like this is escalating so like do you see this where like the dog is getting on the couch and like claiming that like is this even real like the claiming the space and are they are they kind of like pushing their weight around you know like these are some of the things you hear clients say and then dog trainers will fight over and oh that's not true or this is not real but like you know as someone that personally has a dog where I see him do this like I see him kind of like nudge himself in between and like maybe he's just getting close but then it's like but then sometimes he doesn't want to be moved you know and then it's like that's like a whole different thing and then 
you know, we can get into that and go down that rabbit hole. I think he's uh, more of like older dog arthritis and he's sleeping and tired. He doesn't want to get moved off the couch. So that's not really resource guarding, but um, kind of a tangent. But because you mentioned I, it before. I, uh, I am still picturing your example of you oh, shaking hands, giving someone a hug and then kissing them on the neck. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like what an example. Gonna, I knew you were gonna lock in on that. I don't know how else to say it, you know? <laughs> that's basically what he does. Like he's like, he's up on the couch. The next thing you know, his tongue is in your ear, you know? Like that's that's what he does. And it's like, so like what, what I personally do is like, I kind of do set boundaries. Like, look, dude, I'm letting you up on the couch, you know? And if I invite you into my lap, I'll pet you. But if I say like, hey dude got to get off now or you got to move over there go to your spot on the couch you know like almost stationing within the couch is like giving the dog a specific spot on yeah. the couch and the only reason yeah. i kind of brought this up is because one case recently it was with a couple the dog would come up on the couch but then would start like getting in between them and yeah. then if the husband was trying to like touch the wife then would start almost like growling at him and just simply kind of setting rules with them individually. So I had the clients work on it one at a time. We're like, I want you to sit on the couch with your dog and watch TV, but keep your dog to that one square of the couch, kind of, you know? And if the dog moves over and starts leaning in on you, like, and you didn't ask for it, just kindly, you know, say, no, you know, go over to your spot. And we just called it like your spot. Um, so that's kind of why I kind of circled back to this whole thing. Yeah, I, I so, I, I would say, I think it was uh, Sue Sternberg who um, does a lot of temperament testing in shelters and um, a lot of professionals, I guess, feel she's controversial um, for a variety of re reasons, but she is so amazing at observe i don't think i could say that i know of any trainer who is better than her at observing and breaking down every little aspect of body language and behavior like the way she can especially for resource guarding i mean like she's the one that i originally heard about like body positioning or like um like kind of yeah like body positioning i guess is the best way to say it um where the dog wedges themselves in between maybe the couple in this example or um leans up against an individual so like you might be sitting and the dog then comes over and leans with their rib cage uh, right up against your legs or sits right on your feet with their back aligned facing you and they're just directly fixated on the potential intended threat target, etc. Um, and so I do think some dogs, there are dogs who maybe feel conflicted and just don't know what to do or how to fully respond. And they may do those things. And it doesn't mean that they're trying to cause harm, but dogs who resource guard definitely position or put themselves in between and it can be very subtle so like the interesting thing about resource guarding i always say to people is we only know when a dog is resource guarding when we see something happening but that does not mean that the dog isn't already doing it right because they're obviously making a they're making a decision to put themselves in between the owner just as this example let's stick with this example 
but something caused that dog to feel that way to do it in the first place. So the, that means that the dog is thinking about it somehow prior to doing that response. So we don't actually know all the time when a dog is actually resource guarding or going to maybe resource guard until we see it start to pop up in a very subtle way through body language and behavior. Um, so yeah, that's just my little thing on that. And then I guess to um, answer your question and what I would do again, it depends. So like, you know, don't necessarily take this information and, and say that, well, I'm going to do that because Anthony said to do it. So, and if you get hurt, you can blame Vinny, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, so it kind of depends. So uh, if this is a real severe case, I would say is hire professional off the bat, whether it's, you know, in person or if, uh, you don't have someone in person, you could hire one of us virtually, but, but I would just say like, um, I would probably, depending on how the, depending on how severe or not it is, I might start where the dog maybe can learn to go to a place. Maybe the dog needs to be tethered. Maybe if, you know, may, if there might be, there may have to be other safety tools in place. Like I've had to do things like this where the dog is muzzled because someone may get hurt. Um, and, and that would be more towards people living in the home, so, which is what we're kind of talking about. Uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, not a visitor. So um, I would teach the dog to go to spot. Maybe I would tether the dog. Maybe I would do it behind a baby gate. So there's some distance, some space. And I would try and I would kind of try and reinforce like certain good things. So like I, I have a perfect example. I had an older couple who's in their seventies and they had this dog and I don't, he was like two when I met him and he started being protective of both owners. So what, at least that's what it appeared from what I remember at the time. And this is going back like four years ago, maybe, but the, it was not directed at any individual in the home, like specifically. So some dogs will just protect the wife or just the husband. In this situation, it was whoever was approaching the other person, the dog was going uh, after. So if the wife approached the husband, the dog would protect the husband. If the wife, if the husband was approaching the wife, then the dog would protect the wife in that situation. So it was always back and forth. And so with that case, what we had to do, and the dog had other behavior issues on top of this. So it made it a little challenging, but what we had to do is the owners would like, would be maybe on opposite ends of the couch. And then someone would walk, decide to get up and walk towards the other one. So we would just maybe have them stop a couple feet away and that was it. And then the owner would toss a treat at the dog just to reinforce like, good job for not reacting. Yep. I'm just here standing near so-and-so. And then we, you know, add little tiny incremental steps that maybe you're going to air hug. So like you'll approach and just like start like approaching and like air hug and reach for each other, but not actually make contact because the dog is most likely at that point going to assume you're going to do something. So that's going to most likely set the dog off to react. So you may have to do that from a distance. Oh, you didn't react. Good job. Here's another reward for that praise. You know, you could start talking to the dog and, um, you know, just make that a, a good little, uh, experience basically. Um, 
you know, and, and those are just simple, like that's just something simple and generally simple and easy. It depends obviously on, again, the dog's response. Like <laughs> if it's going to be really bad, then, you know, we may have to change that up uh, a little bit or drastically depending on, you know, obviously how dangerous it is. But I, I also, the other thing I'll do is I'll use a tether and um, I'll take like kind of like Kim Brophy's off-duty protocol and I will tether the dog and here's an amazing chew hang out over there like this is like like I'll get like the dog's top three favorite chews and I have all of them on hand I'm gonna give the dog only one of them and okay you're gonna be there with the bully stick for 15 minutes and during that 15 minute period I might have the owners go and sit near each other and put their arm around one another or approach to just air hug, whatever the problem is. And then while the dog is over there in the room, maybe in the corner of the room, on the other side of the room, chewing, most likely the dog is going to see that because they're going to hear the individual get up because that's one of the triggers that causes the dog to react in the first place is the person's going to get up and go towards mom. So, um, at that point, then I'll reinforce the dog for, oh, you're just over there minding your business, chewing on your bone. Great job over there. Here's a reward for that, for just calmly hanging out rather than overreacting. Well, that's a lot of good stuff. You know, it's starting to sound like we're going to need to do a part two on this because I know we're bringing up a lot of concepts and ideas and we're not really, we don't have the time to really go into all of them. So I'm wondering what you guys think about maybe wrapping this up, kind of touching on the key points and then maybe having a second episode where we you know because we've been talking about we've been saying words like stationing or leash pressure or impulse control and and how these things are all affecting this so we should probably go back in and maybe get into the nitty-gritty details in a part two what do you guys think yes i think that's a good idea all right cool all right so So, wrap that up with homework yeah, yeah yeah I okay. think uh, you got that this week, don't you? I Let's do. Over there oh, my list. God. So my God, it's two weeks in a, in a row. I don't know. Oh, man. It's looking <laughs> like it's going to be my, my turn soon. I don't know. Duck. Yeah, it's true. You haven't done this yet. Oh. <laughs> All right. Sorry, you're keeping the timer, so we'll let you slide. So for homework, for homework, kids, we have uh, preventing and managing certain behaviors, especially puppy proofing your home. Super, super important. If your puppy instead start learning to trade or redirect and don't reach in and just grab things from your puppy, especially uh, when they're eating out of their bowl or anything that they have in their possession. Just don't reach in and just grab. Start, that's where you start learning to, to trade or redirect when possible. Also important, don't pet your dog while eating or chewing on a bone uh, or anything for that matter, because that could always increase the likelihood of guarding behavior to pop up. Also have some treats in a few jars scattered around the house. That way, when needed, you can go grab those things and start trading out, etc. And you should also have treats in your pockets. Make sure when it's laundry day, you empty those things out because we all know how that turns out in the washing machine, uh, don't we, Vinny? Holes in, holes in your pants from the dogs <laughs> that the eat worst. through it. <laughs> um, and then that is it. Oh, actually, I'm going to add one extra thing. 
for we're going to touch on this probably in part two about children because we didn't really get to touch on that today uh though some of the strategies on management apply to homes with kids and you guys can also visit my website under the blog section uh the puppy section specifically there's actually a puppy proofing uh blog that just kind of goes over some simple little things on what puppy proofing is and a checklist of things to go through. So um, anyway, so as far as kids go, because that's a super important one, um, there are two organizations that can be beneficial for families with kids. So the family dog is one of them. And the other one, I think it's the familydog.com. Justine's going to kill me if I screw that one up. So I apologize in advance, but I think her organization is the familydog.com. Stop the 77 uh, is, is a, a campaign of hers. So you could look either of those up. And then also Family Paws Parent Education. Both organizations deal with um, families. So Family Paws deals more with um, families expecting a baby or when baby arrives. And the family dog deals more with households with young children. And so those organizations both have great information on their websites, their blogs, their YouTube channels, so a bunch of free advice, and they both offer um, virtual help as well. So just something else I just want to throw out there for families that are maybe dealing with issues or want to set their household up to have more success because we know that sometimes uh, issues happen accidentally where the kids just want to go love the puppy and love them up and pet them and overtouch them and all those things when the puppies may be eating or chewing on a bone, etc. And that can then cause a problem or an accident to occur. So we want to make sure we manage those things and prevent that stuff from happening and teach the kids how to behave um, around their puppy. So that's just a little extra thing. And that just took five minutes just on that one. So sorry, guys. A lot of homework this week. Woo. All right, guys. Well, that's it. Let's wrap this thing up. All right. See you guys later. Class dismissed. <laughs> Class dismissed. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Canine Classroom. If you like the show, make sure to smack that like button, share the show with your friends, and give us a rating. Until next time, class dismissed. Class dismissed.